Hello everyone. It's good to be back with you, finally. It seems like a month since I've seen you. I guess it's because it has been a month since I've been with you. Dave Dunn and Dan Higgins and I had a great time in Thailand. We had two Sundays there, and then since we got back home, we've had two more Sundays, kind of in self-isolation. We left Thailand on February 20th, exactly one month ago today. And I've been longing for this day when I could get back with you, back to church, even though church is so different now. I wish we could see all of you right now and give a round of hugs and handshakes, but I guess we'll have to wait a while for that to happen. That'll have to wait until the coronavirus precautions have been lifted finally. We're not in Kansas anymore, is what Dorothy said to her dog Toto the Wizard of Oz, after the cyclone swept them away. Dorothy was right. We're not in Kansas anymore. In the middle of this pandemic called Corona, we understand her feelings of confusion and apprehension. We feel like we've been carried away against our will to a strange new place. This is not the world we were living in just a few weeks ago. Everything has changed, as you know. So what are we going to do? How are we going to deal with this situation? We are called to be salt and light in this world for Jesus. So what do we do now? People are hunkering down in their houses, afraid to be around anyone else at all. Schools and businesses have shut down right and left. And shoppers are emptying the shelves of toilet paper and paper towels. And There's no rational explanation. I guess I'll never understand that one. All of us are left wondering where we are headed and what the future holds. I've felt many of the same feelings that you have felt. I came back from our Thailand mission trip two weeks ago, but I haven't been able to see hardly anyone in the congregation since that time. Four Sundays have now passed without me being in the pulpit where I usually find myself 48 Sundays each year, and it's been strange. I haven't been able to give or receive a hug since I've been home, let alone kiss anyone, including my wife or my kids or my grandkids. And it's been more than weird. It's been discouraging. It's been disillusioning. My situation, however, is not unusual. We are all self-isolating for our own protection to halt or at least slow down the spread of this virus. So how are we supposed to deal with this coronavirus thing? How are we supposed to work? How are we supposed to do school or do ministry as a church or even as individuals in such a world? Let's talk about it this morning. Let's face this challenge head on. Certainly we just can't carry on business as usual. There is no business as usual. Our daily routines have been shaken to the core, busted apart from our usual way of doing just about everything. There is, as they say, a new normal, but nobody can tell you what normal is. And so this morning, and in the foreseeable future, we are not able to have church like we normally do. We are recording this service ahead of time, so you can watch it on Sunday morning or whenever you choose to do so, right from the safety of your own home. How strange is that? Not being able to have church the way that we usually do is a 
pretty big bummer for us. It's a big disruption to the way most of us have lived our whole lives. We can't go to church, but then again, the church isn't the building anyhow. We are the church, and we are still part of the body of Christ, even if we can't assemble together for a while. As Caleb pointed out last week, we are the people of God, set apart as his very own possession. He read from 1 Peter 2.9, which says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. By his grace, God saved us. He made us part of his family. We are chosen people who are called to live in such a way that people see how we live and are somehow encouraged to glorify God. What will we, the people of God, do during this crisis? How will we respond to it? Will we be the church, the people of God, no matter what happens? Will we respond to this crisis with fear or with faith? With panic or with peace? What will our posture be during this crisis, this pandemic whose end no one knows? Some people are panicking today because their imaginations are running wild. The dread of what might come has gripped them so much that they've jumped to a devastating conclusion that things will be even worse than anyone has predicted. And so they panicked. And they bought more food and toiletries than they could use in a year. Other people are pretending that COVID-19 doesn't exist, or at least that it can't possibly touch them. Perhaps you've heard about the beachgoers in Clearwater, Florida, my hometown. They're enjoying their spring break like nothing bad is going on in the whole world. They're saying, no one is going to deprive us of our fun. COVID-19 can't touch us. We're too young to get sick. It's amazing how this virus is affecting different people, different ways. How do we live in such a world where some are panicking and others are living in denial? How do we live as salt and light in such a world where things are crumbling all around us? A.W. Tozer said, A scared world needs a fearless church. And he's right. This worldwide crisis is an opportunity for those of us who believe in God to show the world who we trust. What an occasion this is for our light to shine. What an occasion for our salt to make a difference in the lives of people who do not know God yet. Well, what does the future hold? No one knows. At least no human being knows. The greatest and best experts among us can't say. The wisest leaders, whether in the church or government or otherwise, don't know. Our future is uncertain, unpredictable. And that probably scares you. I know it scared me at times. It disturbs us all to some extent. What does the immediate future hold? We don't know. We can't know. And that brings up a second and very important question. Who or what do we trust for our future? In other words, where do we put our hope and confidence? Do we base our future on our health or strength or well-being? Well, that model is crumbling rapidly with the spread of the virus. This virus can touch even the youngest and strongest among us. Do we trust the government and medical experts? Well, perhaps to some degree, since they seem to be more informed than the rest of us. 
but even they readily admit that they don't know what's going to happen? Do we trust the economy and our wise financial planning? Do we trust our material wealth? Well, many people have, but now they must admit the economy can't guarantee them anything. So who or what do we trust our future to? Well, I have an answer. The people of God, the family of God, will trust in God. We will put our hope and our confidence in Almighty God, and we will encourage others to do the same. The people of God will live in peace, not panic. We will live in faith, not fear. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. It is in God that we need to put our trust. It is in God that we need to place our confidence. And we need to trust God to be with us in this pandemic and to see us through it. You know, I had a strange thought the other day. Maybe this pandemic is actually doing us a favor. Maybe the shakeup and questioning that we are going through is a good thing in some ways. Maybe the isolation and the loneliness that we are all feeling are good for us because they are making us take stock of how we've been living and what we've been depending on. Are we truly people who trust God to watch out for us and be there with us no matter what? Do we trust His wisdom and His timing? Do we trust Him to always do what is right, what is best for us? Do we trust Him even when things go from bad to worse? Or are we allowing feelings of panic and dread to creep into our hearts? The world says you can only have peace if you're safe and healthy and financially secure. Jesus, on the other hand, promises a peace that goes beyond our circumstances. Jesus' promises peace that is not dependent on what we are currently experiencing. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Jesus even comforted his disciples, even the night that he was betrayed, with these words. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The peace we seek and receive from Jesus is not protection from viruses or even from suffering or death. It is the peace of knowing Him and of being known by Him. It is the peace of belonging to God, being His people in this world, joining Him in His mission to save the world. And this is the kind of peace we must have, not just peace and safety based on our physical circumstances. Over the past few weeks, I've been reading through the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet. Amazingly, this very week, the story of King Hezekiah came up in Isaiah chapters 36 to 39. Hezekiah was a godly king, one of the few good kings of Judah. He brought the people back to God. And God blessed him greatly for his conscientious efforts to lead the people to God. But Hezekiah, over the years, grew to trust more in his wealth than he did in the Lord. This was true even though God delivered him from death and granted him 15 extra years to live. You may not know the story of Hezekiah, but Hezekiah had gotten very sick, sick to death. And uh, Isaiah had told him that he was going to die. 
and he turned to the wall and he prayed desperately to God to allow him to live some time longer. And guess what? God did spare him. God gave him 15 more years to live. But then Hezekiah made his biggest mistake. In Isaiah 39, when envoys from the powerful king of Babylon came to congratulate him on his recovery, Hezekiah made a big mistake. He showed them all the treasures of his kingdom. Everything. Isaiah told him, Someday Babylon will come, and they will take everything that we have. Even your people will be carried off as exiles to Babylon. Hezekiah had made a grave error in glorifying in what God had given them. And how did Hezekiah respond? He said, as recorded in Isaiah 39, 8, The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. All he could think about was that the calamity Isaiah foretold would not befall him. He would die at peace in his old age. He only thought about himself. The problem was that the very next generation did not continue to know the Lord, including his own son, Manasseh. In fact, King Manasseh was one of the most wicked kings who ever lived. Now I can imagine several lessons we could learn from Hezekiah's bad example, can't you? I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy who says, let me get through this crisis safely and I'll be happy. I don't want to be the guy who says, as long as the virus doesn't touch me or my family, everything will be fine. We are in this together. And God has a much greater purpose in mind for us than simply protecting us from the virus. What do you think that purpose might be? Will you think about it? Will you pray about it? This crisis is probably going to stretch out for a long time. And we may not be able to gather as a church for weeks or even months. So please come back to meet with us each week right here. And let's do everything we can to stay connected with each other, to other people in the body of Christ as much as we can. And individually, let me just encourage you to follow three practical steps. First of all, take time to pray every day. During a time like this, especially, we need to draw near to God. We need to ask Him to fill us with His peace. Ask Him for wisdom. Ask Him for confidence. You and I need to live each day. Pray with your children. Show them how to trust God during this crisis. Be real about your fears, but don't panic. Be thankful for God's daily presence in your lives. Pray for the people that are on the front lines, our medical and emergency personnel who are seeing the virus firsthand and helping people who have it. Pray for the individuals and families whose lives and finances are taking a severe hit, so much so that they don't know how they're going to survive this. It's likely that when we pray for them, God will show us some ways that we can help them. So pray, keep your eyes and your heart open. Secondly, get into God's Word every day. Read the Bible and take time to meditate on the things that God will show you. Let God teach you some things during this crisis. We often learn the most when we are facing tough times. So learn everything you can and let your faith grow stronger as a result of this pandemic. Thirdly, 
let's look out for the needs of others, not just ourselves. As the people of God, we must strive to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We must look to the interest of others and not just to our own interests. That's what Paul said, Philippians 2.4. You and I have a great advantage over many people in this world. We know God. And we trust God to be with us no matter what happens. Can you imagine what this crisis is like for someone who does not know him? Look around you. There are hurting people everywhere. There are people who are scared and don't even know there is a God who loves them. Let's be salt and light in this world. And let's point people to Jesus whenever we can. Be smart about the virus. Keep doing the things we all need to do to slow down and eventually stop the spread of the coronavirus. But don't think only about protecting yourself, Hezekiah. Look around you at your neighbors or maybe at your friends and co-workers and help everyone you can. Reach out to them in ways that don't jeopardize their safety or yours. Open your heart and find ways to help shoulder their burdens. Over these next few weeks or months, we need to find ways to serve others wherever we can. Not just hide at home to keep ourselves safe from all the physical evil in this world. That's what it means to be salt and light in this world.